welcome to the Bloomberg Law Podcast. I'm June Grosso. Every day we bring you insight and analysis into the most important legal news of the day. You can find more episodes of the Bloomberg Law Podcast on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and on Bloomberg.com podcasts. President Trump broke with 22 years of precedent last month when he activated a controversial provision of one of the laws that enforced the U.S. embargo against Cuba. And the first wave of text test cases has been filed in courts with Cuban exiles suing multinational companies to get back property that was seized by the government during the Cuban Revolution. Joining me is Jonathan Levin, Bloomberg News, Miami Bureau Chief. So, Jonathan, they call these test cases for good reasons. The plaintiffs not only have to try cases with evidence that's six decades old, but they're suing under this law that's just been put into effect. Explain some of the hurdles they face. Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, so effectively uh, what's happening here is is we have uh, exiles from, from Cuba who are trying to get compensation in some way for the property that their families lost decades and decades ago when Castro sort of uh, first came to, to power. And in, in order to do that uh, through U.S. courts, they need to first uh, prove in many cases that they actually owned the property. Uh, you know, so you see uh, families marshalling these, these deeds that are 100 years old and from, from Cuba. So verifying those, those things, if they haven't already been officially verified, could prove somewhat tricky. And then you have to think about how you're going to actually collect on these, these claims. So uh, obviously collecting from the government of Cuba is extremely difficult. So what we've, what we've seen is a sort of strategy from these families to go after multinational companies, which presumably uh, will also have assets not just in Cuba, but also in the U.S. mainland, that if uh, they get a ruling in their favor, um, they could theoretically seize those assets and, and gain compensation that way. So the Justice Department has certified some 6,000 claims worth about $8 billion at current value by Cuban Americans. Are those certified? Does that certification play in this anywhere? Does that prove anything in a court? Absolutely. I'm, I'm, I mean, I think it's very, very clear uh, that you're at a huge, huge advantage if you are one of the certified claimants. And that's why most of the cases that we've seen thus far are from certified claimants. They've already gone before this, uh, this Foreign Claims Settlement Commission, and they've essentially presented all of the evidence that they, they have. And the, the United States government has, has effectively said, yes, yes, we, uh, yes, we believe that that was, in fact, your property. Is there is there any problem with suing under this law itself? Is there any legal question about whether they can sue under this law? Well, I mean, certainly there are a lot of questions uh, as to the the fairness of the law under international law, and that's where we hear uh, sort of the European Union and Canada crying foul because, in their view, this is an an extraterritorial uh, sort of power grab by by the United States to to say we're going to exert our will on uh, a territory that at this point in time doesn't doesn't have anything to do with us, right? So uh, the the Europeans, for instance. Uh, feel that if one of their uh, sort of citizen uh, corporations is targeted in, in, in this, um, 
they say, well, you know, how is that fair for us if a European company went and decided to do business on the island well after the Cuban Revolution, well after these properties were actually seized? Why should they be held responsible at this point in time? And perhaps that's why every president since Bill Clinton waived the lawsuit provision in the Helms-Burton Act to avoid this friction with other countries. Why is the why is the Trump administration at this point allowing this to go forward, if you know? It seems very much uh, to be in relation to what has happened with Venezuela, right? Uh, The Trump administration uh, accuses uh, Cuba of being a major force in in Venezuela. They say that Cuban intelligence and military resources uh, have helped uh, Nicolas Maduro remain in power there. And so uh, essentially they wanted wanted to raise the the pressure against the Cuban regime. theoretically, to to get them to stop supporting Maduro in Venezuela. So Carnival Cruise Line is one of the companies being sued. It's being sued for docking at ports that were nationalized by Cuba. It's filed a motion to dismiss the cases. Do you know the basis for that motion? Yeah, the general argument is is that under Helms-Burton, again, this is according to uh, Carnival's motion, under Helms-Burton, there was supposed supposedly a carve-out uh, for lawful travel to the island. And Carnival is essentially saying that it falls into that category. It's saying, look, uh, at the time that we started conducting cruises to the island of, of Cuba and docking there on properties that are subject to one of these cases, uh, we were just doing uh, acting in accordance with with the law. It was, it was then legal uh, under... President Obama's uh, sort of uh, rapprochement with with Cuba. It was legal to start taking passengers to the island, and they did so. That's their argument. Now, um, do you know how many of these, I mean, these cases are are very, you know, difficult to bring, I, I assume, and to marshal all the evidence and everything that we've talked about. Do you have any idea how many potential claimants there are under this? Sure. At a State Department uh, briefing shortly after all this went into effect, or actually approximately around the time when it was going into effect, uh, they floated the idea that in addition to the 6,000 certified claims, there could be another 200,000 out there. Now, that's sort of an eye-popping number. And leading up to this, it led people to, to believe, oh my gosh, there could, once the floodgates open, courts could just be clogged up with all of these cases. I think that is it is rather telling that we are now uh, four or five weeks after implementation of Helms-Burton Title III, and we're still only looking at about four cases. Now, that may be, as you alluded to at the outset, uh, that may simply be because everybody's waiting around to see how uh, courts rule in these initial cases before uh, sort of putting all, all their resources behind their own cases. Well, it is just fascinating to read your article about this, and, and these cases are just going to be so interesting to watch. Thank you so much for joining us, Jonathan. That's Jonathan Levin. He is Bloomberg News Miami Bureau Chief. Thanks for listening to the Bloomberg Law Podcast. You can subscribe and listen to the show on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and on Bloomberg.com slash podcast. I'm June Grosso. This is Bloomberg. Bloomberg.